All right, section one here. There's going to be uh, five sections that I went through before. Uh, this first section is important. Um, we actually did the n step number two, three, and four. I thought were going to be the only st steps when you first created this uh, about seven or eight years ago um, that you have to position yourself, architect and protect the position, and then execute. But then we realized that if you try to position yourself and you don't know how other people in the industry are acting, then you have no frame of reference of whether that's a good position or not. By definition, you're trying to position yourself to be superior to what other people have in the marketplace. So without analyzing the market, you can't really position yourself well. And at the end of the day, we always have to keep iterating and uh, changing our models. That's why we added step one and five. So in this section, we're going to talk about just making sure you understand what's going on in the lay of the land uh, so you can be effective. Um, like Picasso says, you, know, you don't want to copy someone and be like, oh, they had a logo uh, of this. So let's, take, let's do the exact same logo and just make it a different color. Or let's just tweak the name a little bit and try to sound just like them. That would be an example of copying. Looking at who's raising 10, 20, 50 million dollars a year in your industry or who's taking market share and figuring out how to integrate that with your own DNA and how you can do really well taking best practices from competitors without, um, without copying them, but really stealing them and making them your own. Like you're, you're owning it by combining it with your own DNA, come up with your own original version based on what other people are doing that's working. Um, Andres is going to have a few slides after lunch to show you, but here's examples of some one-pagers um, from some of our clients where they put together a one-page tear sheet, not just a 40-page pitch deck or 20-page pitch deck to show people. That's an example of you know, making things highly visual so you can see the actual equipment in an equipment leasing company and, and case study examples of investments or the actual garden-style uh, suburbia apartment buildings that a group is buying. Uh, versus showing like a skyscraper when you say you're a multifamily group, but really you don't buy skyscrapers, you're buying more normal apartment buildings and suburbs. So um, taking best practices from all around you and you read something in a magazine, for example, we had seen growing up, um, whenever I flew, there'd be an airplane magazine that said like best doctors in America and it had like seven different doctors with their hand surgeon, whatever, and it'd say their name and their credentials. And I always thought that was a cool idea because I'm sure that company like split up the cost of that one pager and then had the doctors pay a slight premium to get that exposure. So we used that last year and took out a full color page in Inc. Magazine, which goes out to three million people and basically said, you know, commercial real estate power players and got 10 of our commercial real estate friends and we all got exposure in Inc. Magazine. It took me a decade to use that idea, but you can take these types of ideas from people you see in your market, people you see uh, in general out in, the, out in um, everyday life. One thing you could steal is um, doing a timeline. A lot of people are missing this in your pitch deck, just as a quick example. Like, what is your story and what's the development of your story? When did you start? And maybe you started trading at Goldman Sachs before you started your hedge fund, and that's where your timeline really began. Or maybe it was buying properties on the side while you work somewhere else. Uh, so showing a, a timeline is just a, one real quick example. We're not going to go real deep on investment pitch decks today. We have an investment pitch prep workshop where we go over that for five and a half hours, and you can stream that anytime in our portal. Um, it's just an example, though, of you know, quote unquote, stealing an idea from someone and making it your own. Your timeline is going to be different than theirs, obviously, right? Um, one point of this section is to hammer home the point that um, you know, Ken Wilber talks about, he's a philosopher, and he talks about how everything goes through three stages. You know, it's immaturity and then adolescence and then maturity. If you try to position yourself before you're mature and how the industry works, you're going to position yourself in a way that nobody cares or it's not super effective or it actually hurts your ability to raise capital um, because it's turning people off. So you want to make sure you analyze the competition, you analyze what investors are asking for, you're always iterating on that to dial it in further. 
um, and you don't try to be too creative too early because uh, they just might be, might be way off um, along the way. The other thing while analyzing the competition is just to realize that average is not good, following the herd is not good, and many times someone will go to an attorney who might charge you, you know, for a PPM for a fund, might be 20, 30, 40,000 for an international blocker fund, might be 80,000 to $150,000. And what do you think is easier for them to come up with a really creative, super dialed in, unique structure for you? or to do the fund like the other 82 funds they formed this year. They probably make a lot more money when it looks like every other fund, right? So when someone's new to raising capital, they go to an attorney, and the attorney is very motivated to say, oh yeah, everyone does it this way, you should do it this way, right? You should for sure do it this way because their margins go up by a multiple of four, uh, and now you look like everybody else on planet Earth with your structure. And it's better than not having a legal structure, it's better than not having the legal advice to have those disclosures and disclaimers and everything. But if you are raising capital for the first time and you're asking investors to come into something and you don't manage $100 million or you're not doing $20 million in revenue uh, and you're not up to a level of credibility like that, then people are going to want to custom negotiate something. Uh, or if they're putting in a large check or one of your larger investors, they're going to want co-investment rights or a co-GP deal or they're going to want more performance-based fees or they're going to want special rights or first opportunities within a special buy box that they really like. And if you don't do that, some people have this mindset of like, nope, we're two and 20, take it or leave it. And then they're wondering why they didn't raise the capital. <coughs> well, saying, oh, well, that's the fees that everyone charges. Like, well, you haven't, you haven't earned the right to charge what everyone charges because you're not credible enough to be charging uh, what the average is. You're just getting started. So you have to be medium or long-term greedy, not short-term greedy in this industry, you have to get momentum, build trust, and not worry so much about short-term results. You want the investors to get great short-term results, but for yourself, your results need to come after the investors have gotten really good results. And if you always think in that order, then it will help all the conversations go better. This morning I had breakfast with uh, my friend Michael Mann, who has gotten $420 million worth of deals done in the last two and a half years. He's going to be speaking at our Super Summit in December. Uh, he works with about 50 different billionaires. He's going to be connecting us to a few for billionaires.com. And I said, hey, look, I know you can't speak today at the workshop, but what's the number one thing that I should tell him? And I didn't tell him what I was going to be talking about today. Um, and he said, the number one thing is trust, and you have to add value first. It's all about adding the trust. Um, and I saw just in the way he communicated that he does what I do many times, and that I'm asking how to help him. or saying, oh, well, would you like to speak here and he's always like, oh yeah, yeah, but let's just, uh, let's have you speak at my event first. Or yeah, why don't I make those five introductions for you? Or let's, let's do this or that. And that was just his default way. And I could see why he's been so successful in getting $400 million plus of deals done in less than three years. Um, because he focuses on building trust first and nothing else matters. Him making a profit short term does not matter. Adding value and building trust is what matters. So I thought that was a an interesting comment to uh, bring up for, for today's workshop. Um, fee alignment. Uh, this is something that <coughs> when you're analyzing the competition, you want to see what type of fees they're charging, what type of fees investors would prefer to be paying. Sometimes you can actually get paid more handsomely by having all the fees be back-ended. And maybe you make even more money. It's not about making less money and like, oh, I'm going to go out of business because my fees are so low. It's about not charging them a whole bunch of fees before you've done anything but tie their money up. Uh, the reality in many of our businesses, though, is we have to charge some fees. There's hard costs, and you can't lose cash on cash month over month, a whole bunch of money to maybe one day make good money. So the solution to that is to try to figure out 
uh, in your business? Is there an operating business component that can help supplement that cash flow? So you could lose a little bit of money on the investment side and supplement it by your operating business? Or can you charge back exact costs that are documented? And it turns out to be 63 basis points of exact charge back costs. You're not making a dollar of profit off of it. It's just the cost of operating the deal and it's all documented in the Dropbox folder for investors so that you can say there is no management fee. We have these costs of the deal, but we're not making a, a fee where we're getting margin after margin because then people see that you might have fake skin in the game. And that's even worse than not having skin in the game. It's like when you pretend like, oh yeah, I'm in here with you because out of a $100 million deal, we're doing 75 million debt and 25 million equity. And you tell them, oh, well, we're putting up 10% of the equity. So we're right in there with you. And what does that mean? Well, that means out of 25 million equity, you're putting in $2.5 million. And your numbers might be a tenth of this, I realize, if you're just getting started. But if you're putting up $2.5 million, but on that $100 million fund, you get a 2% uh, per year of asset center management fee, and you get a 1% acquisition fee, and you get a 1% you know, debt financing fee, and maybe you have a capital raiser fee, maybe you have a disposition fee. One time I saw nine different types of fees. Even if you only have three types of fees, acquisition, disposition, annual management fee, you now have zero skin in the game nine to you know, 15 months into the deal. So anyone who's been around the block a few times in the investment industry will see that and be like, yeah, but you're charging me all these fees, so you really have no skin in the game, so nice try trying to trick me, but now I don't trust you. you know, so you should just be upfront and candid about it. If you're not equipped to invest a bunch of money, then you just tell the person, like, hey, we're making this performance driven. I don't have 2.5 million to put up, but this is my largest investment on my personal balance sheet, and I put in $142,000 or whatever it is. Um, so it's just better to be honest and build that trust. All different ways to create fee alignment. You can back end things, make it performance or carry based. Um, Make sure you don't have the nine types of fees. Keep the fees simple, potentially. Um, make sure that if you're charging industry standard fees that you are industry standard. And it, you wear the confidence on your sleeve when you structure things. Uh, Michael, who I mentioned, has gotten $400 million worth of deals done. He only makes money on the carry. He has no other types of fees. And he says that his big families love that.